0: Live. And I heard another voice from heaven, say, come out of her, my people, that ye be not partakers of her sins, and that ye receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. Fellow Adamites, we are seeing the cracks emerge in Babylon, we are seeing the cracks spread. I don't believe it will be too long now before we hear, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen. And Yahweh willing, we shall all be there to witness it, and all the world shall bear witness to the power of Yahweh. If you have not begun to prepare for the things which are to come, the things which you're already starting to see happen, then you would best do so now. Now is the time to make preparations, gather supplies, make plans, and focus your efforts to keep on the straight and narrow path. Be right with the Heavenly Father, and he shall bring you through the plagues that await this doomed nation. Today is December 30th, Wednesday, 2009, and joining us is Bill Fink and um, Ron Kokal from the um, USS Liberty. How are you doing today, sir?
1: I'm um, just fine, thank you. Hello, uh, oh, Mr. Cookal. It's a, it's a um, pleasure to speak to you. Thank you,
0: thank you. And you were uh, a petty officer on the USS Liberty, correct, sir?
2: Yes. Can I ask a couple of questions before we get started? First, are you hearing me all right?
0: Yes, yes. sure.
2: Okay.
1: And is this an
0: hour,
2: Shiloh?
0: It'll typically. be approximately.
1: It's typically an hour, but it has no. We have no, no, um, you, you know, no definite time for it. Okay. All right. Um, all right. Uh, shoot. Well, would you like to start with the the events
0: surrounding the arrival of the USS Liberty in the eastern Mediterranean?
2: Sure. Um, I'd be glad to do that. Um, the USS Liberty, uh, before it was called the Mediterranean, before the Six-Day War, or shortly after it started, uh, we were uh, sailing along the um, western coast of, of Africa. Uh, doing what we were supposed to do, and um, we were uh, abruptly called uh, into the Mediterranean, and uh, uh, what we did is we we made preparations. Uh, we turned around and headed toward a road to Spain uh, for supplies and to pick up a couple of people and then immediately headed into the Mediterranean. I think we hit the, the six-day war, I believe would have been on the, the third day, which would have been the
0: 8th of June. All right. And at the time, what was your assignment on the ship?
2: I was a communications technician. Um, I, uh, uh, as you all know, the USS Liberty was a was a, a, a auxiliary research ship, and uh, it was a lot of people like to call it a spy ship, whatever. But uh, I was a communications technician, and I worked for the National Security Agency, although I wore the Navy uniform. Uh, well, actually, I shouldn't say that, but we were under the auspices of the uh, of the of the National Security Agency. All right. Well, so, um, you know, I, I'm not exactly sure wh- which what direction you want to take with this, but um, uh, uh, let me tell you that uh, uh, shortly after the attack that uh, which began at uh, 1400 that afternoon. Um, I was uh, three decks down below the main deck, uh, about 30 foot from where the
1: torpedo hit the ship. Hmm. So and, you're uh, fortunate to be here. Pardon me? You're, it's fortunate that you're here with us. Oh, thank you. Thank uh, you. I mean, I mean, you were that close. I, I didn't realize that.
2: Yeah. Uh, yeah. Very, very close. Um and when
1: I, I understand now how you,
2: what your program's all about. I listened to the introduction and I'm pretty sure I'm in the right place. I, I was, um, I'm the uh, chaplain or was the chaplain for USS Liberty Veterans Association. Uh, I begged for this, uh, uh, position to be opened up when we organized because I felt that the, uh, uh it needed to have a chaplain just as any other organization does. And, uh, I guess I could consider myself uh, still in shock and still in awe of how we uh, actually survived uh, an attack that was meant to put us to the bottom. Uh, you won't hear me making any slurs against any race on this program. I will just tell you what I believe God did that day on June 8th, 1967. I hope that's what you
1: want to hear. Well, well, yes. And, and this is a Christian program, and, and we're Christians, and I'm a Christian writer. And a- and the Christian pastor and we we have a um a slightly different interpretation biblically uh, about who those people in palestine are and i i don't have to ask that and and we would like to hear exactly what you have to say and and well, you want you do have a a more or less friendly christian audience here i i mean <laughs> well that's that's really good to hear because well, let me tell you uh, um i I like to start this
2: out uh, uh because this, uh, what God has done here, uh, encompassed my whole life. I just didn't realize it until um, later on in life. And um, you know, uh, when I was a child, I, I knew I knew God was there. I did my I, I did a lot of praying, and and sometimes these material things that I prayed for as a young child uh, actually showed up. And so I thought, man, this is really great. Um, all I got to do is get down on my knees and pray, and all these things that I want, you know, will, will just fall in place. Well, that's, that was a young child's thinking, and uh, uh, I, I wasn't saved at the time, um, but I also think that, uh, that uh, the scripture that, that speaks about uh, that the Lord knew us in the womb and probably long before that uh, is very, very true. He knew what direction
1: we're all going to take. And well, so, that is absolutely true. I I'm, I yeah. absolutely believe that.
2: Yeah, well, thank you. I, uh, so it, it encompassed my whole life, and uh, I've done testimonies in church where I've tried to describe what exactly happened, which I certainly like to do uh, when I get to when the attack took, took place. But previous to the attack, uh, I was not a Christian person. I had used God for what I thought was just uh, a great deal, you know, to get at what I wanted out of life. And and only until um, uh, I kind of got the uh, feeling that I was uh, uh, maybe a second uh, Saul of Tarsus on the road to Damascus, uh, because when the attacks uh, began, uh, it took a while for me to realize how, much, how many miracles occurred that day. And I don't know if I'll get them all in in an hour, but... Um, uh, there were so many miracles that occurred that day and some that I don't even know about that uh, uh, I just, I've just i always felt very strongly that uh, uh, looking back uh, that there's absolutely no way that we should even be here um, but we but yeah, are here you are to tell the truth about what
0: happened even though the American people by and large aren't ready to receive it or willing to receive it
2: uh, that's about uh, that's about it in a nutshell. And, and let me tell you, after forty some years uh, of trying to tell the American people, being ignored by the mainstream media, uh, let me just say that I'm saddened that uh, they don't seem to want to listen. Um, I'm very sad that the efforts that we've made uh, have been blocked in about every conceivable way you can think of. And believe me, to ever get on the mainstream media would be an almost impossibility even to this day.
1: Well, we understand that and and we understand why and and I don't, you know, I I understand you may not want to bash certain people, but it just seems to me that certain people are never portrayed in a bad light by the media and and they can't possibly be reproached or criticized in any way.
2: Well, that's um I like I like to, I like to uh, draw a parallel there that I used to have on my website, and it uh, comes out of First Samuel, uh, the first few verses, uh, wherein uh, uh, the Ark of the Covenant was taken into battle, uh, thinking that uh, uh, that they that they would win the battle because they were carrying the Ark into the into battle, and that just didn't happen with the Philistines. They romped all over them, and uh, all I'm saying here is that. No matter who you are and who you think you are, and if you think you're closer to God than the, uh, than others are, uh, if you're doing something wrong, um, you're, you're going to pay for it, And because uh, God is a righteous God. And, and you, there's no, to my mind, and from what I know, uh, from what I've studied over the years, with the advent of the New Testament, uh, we're all equal here, and, uh, and uh, um, there's nobody any closer to God than I am, as far as I'm concerned.
1: Well, well, perhaps we could talk um, more at length about that later, but we'd really be interested in, in hearing what you have to say first. Okay, thank you. Well, uh, let's get into the attack. The day of the attack was uh,
2: um, about as bright and sunny and clear a day as you could possibly want. Uh, we were about 15 to 16 miles off the coast of the Sinai. Um, uh, well, about your location, some detractors, <laughs> mainly some Zionists,
0: have said that the liberty was where it should not have been, but weren't you exactly
2: where you had been ordered to go? We definitely were, and I uh, might say this, that we were uh, in international waters. And excuse me for saying off the coast of the Sinai, I am um, I meant to say off of Gaza, um, uh, off of the small little town of El Arish, mm-hmm. uh, about 16 miles out in international waters, now you know some countries will claim that well we don't care what they say in international uh, international rules uh, we claim so many miles and uh, I'm not exactly sure if that's what the Israelis were thinking that day or what but we were what it was considered in international waters at that at that time um, we observed several flybys that morning and of course I'm going to quote. Uh, from the officer of the deck, James Ennis, who wrote the book Assault on the Liberty, who said that they flew so close to us that he could see they he could wave at the pilots. Uh, so that's, that's pretty doggone close, and there were several flybys that morning. Uh, we were actually marked in their war room uh, with a blue marker, if I remember correctly. Um, I guess that was, uh, we were uh, identified as, uh, as a neutral or a friendly sh- ship. I don't, I don't know. Uh, All right. So
0: these these flybys, the initial ones, were they of marked Israeli aircraft?
2: Unmarked. I'm sorry. That morning, I believe they were marked. Yes, they were marked. So, they, yeah, they had. The, they could see the Star David on them.
0: Okay. And I just looked it up. Israel claims 12 nautical miles.
2: Okay. Well, we were about 15. Uh, during the combat operations and during the war, I believe they warned all shipping to stay completely away. Um, I think that the United States was 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 willing to go by that, but uh, uh, we um, just didn't get the
1: word in time to right, get out. Right. If I can interject, I have a um, a paragraph here from from Romeo Stana, who wrote an article for the Bonds Review on this in 2004. <laughs> Are you familiar with that? He says that in the evening of June 7th, the U.S. military attache in Tel Aviv sent a secret message informing the CIA that Israel intends to sink liberty if she comes close to the coast. Marshall Carter, a CIA representative, testified about this message before a congressional committee investigating the attack. This information triggered the frantic NSA and JCS activity, activity to repossession Liberty, as we know, the order to move more than 100 miles from shore did not reach the USS Liberty. The misrouted messages did not reach the Liberty until June 9th, a day too late. Therefore, as far as the Liberty was concerned, on June 8th, the operating distance was 13 miles.
2: That's that's correct. Um,
1: um, so so okay. I'm just saying, the Liberty really was at least twelve miles from shore, which was the international water at the time. Yes. And and the um the orders you know, as far as the McGonagal, the skipper the ship was concerned, the operating range was um thirteen miles or, or you know, outside of international waters. Yes. And, uh, well, outside in international waters.
2: that's correct. Um we were, third, we were very well identified. Uh, I, I will quote uh, Admiral Thomas Moore, who was the Joint Chiefs of Staff at the time, who attended several of our reunions. Uh, I felt uh, sort of bad for Admiral Moore because he said, You know, I didn't pay enough attention to what happened to you guys. The Vietnam War was so prominent, Dan, and he said it just took up all of his time. But he said, The one thing about the USS Liberty that could, anybody could see, anybody can say, is that it was without a doubt. The most identifiable ship in the United States Navy. One of the most ugly ships because we had we were just covered with uh, antennas uh, from top to bottom and uh, with the big dish on the back on the fantail. Uh, he said there's no, absolutely no way that anybody could not identify this ship.
1: Yes, sir. What? I had I had that same quote here in front of me. <laughs> It it was um, quoted in the in the American Free Press in 2003 and and in the Barnes Review in 2004. I have the. Point. That's yeah, that's that's correct. And I, uh, you know, uh,
2: Admiral Moore was such a fighter for us. Uh, even when he died, uh, <laughs> even when he died in his eul- eulogy, uh, he mentioned, not just mentioned, the USS Liberty was brought up again, even at his funeral. The man was a fighter. He knew we were right and uh, he never, ever give up the ship, so, so to speak. And they, they claim that they thought you were the Al-Qusayr,
0: an Egyptian merchant vessel, which looks nothing like the USS Liberty. Is that correct?
2: Shorter, uh, nothing, uh, the antennas uh, that, that we had on there, there was absolutely, uh, as a matter of fact, I believe the El qusayr was in, 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 uh, in dry dock or something like that or in, in a state of it needed repairs, it was in that bad of shape. And, um, uh, so that's about all I can say about that. I might tell you that, uh, USS Liberty had the, uh, its names, uh, on the back of the ship where you could see it readily coming from the fantail. tail. PTR five was on the starboard and at port side where you could see the numbers quite well. And, uh, very, very readily identifiable ship and the flag I will have to tell you was always flying.
1: Hmm. Well according to this article I have by Romeo Stanner in, in front of me and the article's on my website but which um Brian can email it to you because this, this um the this program and the related articles that I have will be posted on my website. Uh-huh. The um the the NSA had aircraft and, and this Information came, was declassified very late. The NSA had aircraft 18 miles over the, over the attack on a Liberty, and they intercepted messages, Israeli messages, before the attack on a Liberty began that proved that the Israelis knew that it was definitely an American ship. That's correct. That there, there's no doubt that the Israelis knew exactly what they were doing <laughs> for attacking an American ship.
0: I believe on the BBC documentary, Dead in the Water, one of the Israeli pilots even radioed back command and wanted a confirmation of the order to attack some was an American ship, and he was told to go ahead, follow orders, and attack the ship. I've, I've,
2: I've read that very same thing. Uh, I, I think it's, uh, I can't say if it's fact. I'll just tell you that I've read that very same thing. I also uh, have been told by some fairly uh, some people that uh, uh, certainly know what they're talking about uh, that one of the Israeli pilots uh, refused to attack and was called back to the, his home base. Now mm-hmm. that's something I can't prove. uh It's something that uh, someone can just stick in the back of their mind that uh, one of them was was turned back. He did turn back and. Uh, uh, he spent a lot of time in jail after that, as I understand it
1: hmm. well, I would like to just hear, simply hear your 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 um account of the events of that day and in your words if you wouldn't mind um giving you know providing us with that that's fine um we uh
2: we had a uh, general quarters drill that day because we were so close to the war, and uh I worked in my at my own workstation what's like like i said was uh uh, two decks down below the main deck uh, that morning. And uh, I went up to uh, for uh, a look and get some fresh air about, uh, I think it was about 11.30 just before the chow, uh, chow call. And uh, I did observe a uh, what they referred to as a flying boxcar. I think it's maybe a C-130 or something like that uh, flying high above us. So I knew there was a lot of reconnaissance that morning. Uh, because my boys come down to, to, to work for me, we're talking about it, you know, that there's uh, planes flying around us everywhere at that point. So at noon,
3: uh,
2: I went to, uh, went to Chow, and uh, at uh, 1300, uh, 1 o'clock, 1 p.m., uh, we were supposed to have a general quarters drill. We did have that drill at uh, 1300. The drill lasted for almost uh, well, almost an hour. And by the time I got down, back down to my workstation, which was uh, 1,400, maybe a minute after, uh, the attack began. Now, of course, I was working when it started. Um, I thought the first sounds of the attack reminded me of, uh, uh, I thought it was hailing outside, uh, which was kind of an absurd absurd thought. But uh, you know, when something like that happens, you you, you want to discard it. You don't really want to think it's anything that important. Um, and so I just kind of pushed it off and thought, well, something happened up above. Well, then it happened again, just a few, uh, a couple, of three minutes later, and it kept happening over and over and over again. Well, then the captain got on the one MC, which is a ship's uh, intercom system and told us that we were under attack. Uh, we had to uh, uh we had to batten down all the hatches uh and made uh, to maintain the watertight integrity. So consequently, you might as well know that we were in a compartment two decks down below the main deck um, locked in tight waiting for whatever else was going to happen to us. Um, about a half hour or 45 minutes into the attack after the uh, the French Mirage jets and the, uh, I don't recall, the other planes were strafing us, um, the captain got back on the the uh, system again and said that uh, we needed to, uh, he said, prepare for a torpedo attack, starboard side. Um When he said that, um, I just got to tell you that Time just a, a sort of stood still for me right there, uh, and, and at the same time moved forward, moved backwards. I don't know. I guess maybe that's what you call shock. Because I thought, well wow, I see this kind of thing in the movies. You know, this ain't happening. This is not happening to me. Well, well it, it was. It was happening. And uh, of course, the uh, training that we that we got in boot camp took over immediately. And uh, I think I was the senior man in that compartment. Um, I had someone tap me on the back and tell me to get down flat on the deck. That was really my responsibility, uh, as a senior petty officer down there. I don't think there's anybody else, uh, more senior than I, and to this day, I really don't know who tapped me on the back to tell me to get flat on the deck. I have my, I have my thoughts, um, uh, that, uh. This was the beginning of what God was going to do for the USS Liberty. Let me tell you here and now that we had four fifty-caliber machine guns. We had a few forty-fives aboard and some M1s. That was our entire uh, armament on the USS Liberty. Um, we had nothing. They had everything. It was like it was like shooting fish in a barrel. I don't know how else to put it. We we had nothing; they had it all. They had Didn't the. did Oh, I was gonna. Did they hit your ship with napalm?
1: Yes. Well, there's actually even a record that um, that the Liberty had requested a destroyer escort, and and it was denied the the day before it, or a couple of days before it embarked for the Palestinian coast.
2: Yes, that's uh, that was of course the word aboard the ship that we, that the captain did re- request the escort, um, Admiral, uh, one of the admirals, uh, told him that the 6th Fleet was only a half hour away, that, uh, we were well protected if we needed any help. Uh, so
1: that was denied. Right. That's, what, that's what I have in this, in this Romeo Stanner article. And,
3: okay.
1: and Admiral Geis was the 6th Fleet commander. That's right. He's the one that denied the, um, Denied the destroyer escort, but the article is on the front page of it'll it'll be on the front page of my site.
2: Okay, that that seems to be uh, that seems like that's the right name. Um, getting back to the, uh, I want I can't make the point more more uh, more powerful than I am right now
3: that uh,
2: how weak we were, how little we had, and how much they had, and so. Uh, after the uh, order for the port to prepare for a torpedo attack, I did whoever as whoever was behind me tapped me on the shoulder and told me to get flat on the deck. I did that, and it probably wasn't any more than 15 to 20 seconds later than that, the torpedo tore a 40 by 40 foot hole on the starboard side of the ship, which was uh, about like I say about 30 foot from me. Um, uh, If I had not been flat on the deck, I wouldn't be here talking to you right now because men died all around me that didn't get down. And uh, and I'm just going to say it flat out, uh, guys. um, I don't feel that there was anybody else in there that could have gave me that order. I feel that that order was given to me by God himself, and it saved my life.
1: Yes, we've had many um, people with such experiences in, in times of trouble. It's entirely believable. Thank you. So, after the
2: torpedo hit, the compartment immediately filled up with water. Um, I, I suppose the water—I I think uh, it was probably at least eight to nine foot to the to the ceiling or the overhead, as we called it in the Navy. And uh, I was—I had water well up over my shoulders uh, as I made my way towards the hatchway to the to the uh, to the ladder that would take me to the deck up above and it's just automatic instinct because uh, what we were taught in basic training, uh, automatically took over. And, and let me say at this juncture that, uh, I am so proud of what, of the uh, training that they, they conducted, uh, with, at least in the United States Navy for about nine weeks. Uh, it took over immediately and, uh, I knew what to do. I knew where to head for and, uh, Also, at the hatch that I headed for, because the stairway to the deck above, or the ladder to the deck above, was right next to that hatch. I probably only had probably no more than 20 foot to go, but, you know, when you're up to your shoulders in water, um, and and it's dark, because it immediately became dark. uh, I looked up in a battle lantern, which uh, the, the Navy battle lanterns, if you didn't keep... Get care of them they wouldn't work uh, when you really needed. it but uh, this thing was on and i knew that the battle island was right next to the hatch so i headed towards it and when i got there i went through the hatch and there must have been uh, i don't know how many guys we were also trying to get up the ladder at the same time and uh, uh joe lentini one of my shipmates uh, was actually when he was trying to get up the ladder was knocked down and he was injured he was already wounded And, uh, people, uh, I think he got stepped on and he got hurt pretty bad, but we did drag him up the ladder and we got a lot of people out of there. And, uh, that was only due to a ship fitter by the name of Phil Turney, who broke into our spaces, which were secure spaces. I shouldn't say he broke into them. He, he was told he was, he told the guys he wanted in because he needed to uh, take care of, uh, well, he knew what he needed to do. And, um. He was the man who opened up the scuttle, which is the, op- the opening in the middle of the hatch door, which will allow, um, there's enough room there to get a body through there, one at a time. He opened that up, and uh, I don't know how many people he saved. Phil Turney is the recipient of the Bronze Star. Um, I, would, I, I don't know why it wasn't more than that, but uh, he's happy uh, with what he received. But uh, he saved a lot of lives that day. Uh, as I came out of the out of the uh, from down below, uh, and got up to onto the deck up above, which was uh, there was no water up there, it was dry, and uh, headed towards the main deck. Uh, Phil was back up there uh, before in a heartbeat, and he, I, just before uh, I got out to the main deck, um, Lieutenant George Golden ordered me back down below. Uh, to check, make sure that everybody got out okay. I didn't want to do that, but, uh, again, I attribute that to the fine Navy, uh, the training that we received back in those days, and I did his order. Uh, it was pretty scary down there. There's nobody uh, uh, nobody around. Uh, I opened up the hatch and, and looked down there, and there, it was pretty dark, and all I could hear was the water sloshing around, so I just came back and... Uh, told uh, lieutenant golden that i couldn't find anybody so he ordered me to go on out on the main deck which i did and according to phil Turney, uh those of us that were down below were elated to get out of there to escape death that we were slapping each other on the back hugging each other uh, amidst amidst uh 50 caliber machine gun fire that was coming from the torpedo boats but he said we didn't even know it was uh that we were being fired on, we were so happy to get out of uh, from down below.
1: That is amazing.
2: What were conditions like on the main
0: deck at this point?
2: Uh, pardon me.
0: What were the conditions like on the main deck at this point? Since the um, jet fighters had already strafed the main deck and attacked the bridge, hadn't they?
2: Yeah, there was there was ten. Uh, I think it was uh, I think it was ten people were uh, uh, killed. uh... uh Especially the men that were in the gun tubs. Uh, I'll just tell you real quickly. I won't describe it very much. Uh, There were there were bodies laying in the in the in the deck in the gun tubs forward uh, that we went up and observed. That uh, some of them, uh, well, as they say, one of them was decapitated, decapitated, um, uh, ready to. uh, How can I put this? I guess I'm just going to skip over that. I don't really like to relate to him. Let's tell you, there was 10 men, aren't uh, who was up on the flying bridge, which is about as high up as you can get up without climbing the mast, or was blown right out of his shoes. They never found him. They well,
0: found the main him.
1: deck was a carnage. That's, that's, so the, um...
0: that's understandable you wouldn't want to speak about that, sir. Suffice to say that I, I remember a documentary that somebody – was able to get a communication wire swing after all the antennas had been cut. So that's how they were able to get the distress signal out. Is that correct? Correct.
2: Yeah, Terry Hill-Bardier, who was a radio man, uh, who received the Silver Star just this last summer, uh, uh, I wish I could remember the congressman's name in California, who helped him get this, uh, with, uh, amazingly, after 47 years, received the Silver Star for that action. Um, I'll I'll also tell you that uh, um, I was the petty officer in charge of the body recovery and identification Um, after we pulled into dry dock in Malta um, they had to pick somebody and they had to pick somebody that had a security clearance that could go down in spaces and uh, I guess you might say I was in the wrong place at the wrong time and uh, I was ordered to do so. I told him I said I didn't think I could do that. Uh, uh these were my own shipmates and I he said you will do. It. So, um I'm kind of jumping the uh, jumping ahead here a little bit, but I wanted to make you aware that uh that I th- that was one of the things that uh <laughs> hard, really hard, and I don't I think I'll ever get over it. I, I just I skim over it. Um it's, uh, I think the good Lord that there, it seems to be some kind of mechanism within the body that, uh, has allowed me to forget a lot of that. All, all that I saw, I just know that I did it. Um, uh, Ernie Gallo, who's the president of the Liberty Veterans Association, uh, told me that he had tapped me on the shoulder that day. And he, he said, Ron, how are you, how can you do this? And, and I told him, I, said, I don't know. Well, I'm sure I was in shock. And, uh, the thing is that I, I guess the point I want to make is that the uh, as I suffered from uh, what the VA calls post-traumatic stress disorder, I think I came by it pretty honestly, um, and the ones that suffer the wolf most are the ones that have to deal with the bodies. Well, we had to deal with them, and uh, we did recover those bodies. We got we got most of them, uh, but there was, uh, if I remember correctly, I think there was six that we never could find, so we actually just uh Put them the pieces that were left over in a body bag and, and called it them. They're buried in Arlington Cemetery uh, to this day. Um, According
1: to um the to this Romeo Stena article, radio operators James Hallman and Joseph Ward improvised an antenna and tried to signal their desperate situation. Uh, I just I thought you had a different name. That that's why maybe the Stena article is not quite accurate or. I
2: would say the article is not accurate because I know Terry Halbarty quite well, and uh, he is the man who, who did the uh, – who patched the antenna wire up. That's what he received the silver star for just this last summer.
1: Okay. No, no I believe you. It's, it's you know, um, details get murky and people have different accounts, and, and that's okay. That, that's <laughs> Stana is not an eyewitness, so so I definitely would um, think that he's not above making mistakes. We all make mistakes. To to what
0: extent did the Israelis go to to sink the ship? How many torpedoes did they actually launch at the ship?
2: Um, The number that was told to me was five. They hit us with one.
0: So one out of five. So had it been more torpedoes striking, the ship certainly would have gone down.
2: Absolutely. And another miracle occurred here because just not too long ago, I think about two years ago, uh, one of the signalmen, Joe Metters had gotten some information that the torpedo, uh, the reason it tore a hole on the starboard side is that it uh, uh, hit an I-beam and it didn't go any further into the ship. Uh, Had it gone any further in, I'm sure we wouldn't be uh, talking today. So, to me, that's just another miracle that, uh, not just, but it was another miracle that they kept the ship afloat. We were at a 10-degree list after the torpedo hit us, so uh, that don't sound like much, but that's a plenty because we were all told we had to sleep topside uh, as we sailed back to Malta because the ship could go down at any time. Which brings me to the point, uh, again, about the United States Navy training that we received was was superb because the men that were the ship fitters, the people that were supposed to shore up the, uh, the ship to keep it from going down, did their job, and they did it well.
0: So you are here talking to us today by the grace of God and the heroics of yourself and your shipmates, who against all odds kept that ship afloat for the truth to get out.
1: Kept kept it afloat for six days. Pardon me? Kept it afloat for six days after the attack.
2: We actually, after the attack, we actually uh, uh, sailed it to Malta, put it in dry dock, uh, and then uh, we recovered the bodies, uh... I worked for Lieutenant Lee. I was the senior petty officer in charge of this body recovery. And you'll Do you guys happen to have the book Assault on the Liberty or the book Atta- Attack on the Liberty?
1: No, sir. I was going to ask you about those books on, on this program, how how accurate you thought those books were or, or if you could recommend either of those books. Uh, Attack on the Liberty is just a
2: recent book written by James Scott who is the son of John Scott, who was an ensign aboard the USS Liberty, who I knew quite well. He wrote this book, and it is a superb book. Uh, it is accurate. Uh, James Ennis wrote the very first book called Assault on the Liberty. It is very accurate. Um, you can find both of them on Amazon.com. I, I hope I'm not overstepping my bounds here. No,
1: no, no, no. It's it's, it's good good. To- it's good that people hear that the you know the the material that is valid, that because you know how much propaganda is is published today. Absolutely, and,
2: and one other book called Operation Cyanide. Um, I guess I like that book the best because uh, <laughs> I got mentioned about five or six times in there, so I read it. Uh, I let the, I love to read it because it, it's you know I don't I think maybe Operation Cyanide might be just a little bit over the top. Um, there might be some speculation in there but basically it's a very good book uh, it was written by Peter Hewnham. Uh he's a Scottish born fellow um, I can't really tell you more than that there is a brand new book out now called Ship Without a Country and if you would like me to uh, I can't put that out right now because I don't have it in front of me uh, how to get a hold of that book But that that book is brand new. Uh, It has uh, several accounts in it. Uh, My own account, uh, because this is how I wanted it described, my own account is titled uh, Dead Men Walking.
1: Right, that's an appropriate title.
2: (laughs) Well, it took a long time to come up with what I wanted to... uh, what I wanted to convey, and what I always have wanted to convey, is that uh, that, is that Almighty God, I'm still waiting for this portrait to be painted. But uh, And I did have a man who was going to paint it, and I said, all I want you to do is paint um, uh, Jesus Christ holding up the USS Liberty by the fantail and standing in all that water. Nobody's been able to do that yet. But I'm hoping that'll happen before my time's up and the lights go out.
1: So, so now your um, Dead Men Walking is your book, and and this is published already.
2: Well, it's not my it's not my book. It's just a a, a chapter within the book called Ship Without a Country.
1: Oh, okay. Thank you. Yes, and
2: um, I and and think who wrote?
1: If you mind me asking, who wrote Ship Without a Country?
2: A Mark Glenn.
1: Mark Glenn. And Victor
2: Thorne was one of the men that helped get it published. Uh, I think you can actually. I'm, I'm I'm sitting here looking here on the internet. I'd like to get the information to you if I can uh, about how to get a hold of that. And I, I should be able to do that if you'll give me just. I'll just keep talking while I'm looking for it.
1: Uh, you have any? Uh,
2: if you got some questions, just shoot away.
1: Um, oh. What about these yeah. videos that have been out? This. Two DVDs I found the, the History Channel cover up attack on the USS Liberty, and and Christopher Mitchell's USS Liberty Dead in the Water. Uh, are they? I was surprised to see that CBS actually um, aired uh, one of these at at one point, even under um y you know the usual assault by the by the, Zionist, the yeah. Zionist forces against it. And and I I was surprised to see that CBS actually. Was brave enough to do that at some point
2: Actually I think CBS Did they not conduct the show 2020
1: uh, You know I don't watch television So I really don't know I'm sorry
2: I think Barbara Walters and Hugh Downs uh, Did the very first uh, show On uh, I think it was I'm not going to say Which, uh, which uh, Whether it's ABC or CBS They actually did a show uh, uh, Back in the I think in the mid-'90s, however, it was pretty watered down. Uh, it was uh, put out to the whole public that this was just a, a terrible mistake and an accident. Uh, however, as a, as a crew member, I was glad to even see it even got out there that way because I thought it was going to be completely blacked out. It's still blacked out. Uh, after 47 years, um, whoever is trying to keep this uh, information down, I commend them. They've done a great job. They've done a wonderful job, even though we were told <clears throat> that uh, I was never told this, but Phil Turney has, has said this more than once, that they, we were told, they were told, uh, I don't know uh, where at on the ship, that, uh, that if they ever talked about this, we would be in jail and $10,000 fine and stuff like that. Well, uh, Jim Ennis wrote the book Assault on the Liberty. Uh, several books, books have been written since then. Uh, none of that has ever transpired, and I certainly hope it never does. But um, that's just—they a, 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 did everything they could, and, and it began just the day after the attack. We were—we
1: were—I I call it threat without talking. Well, yes, I, I certainly do believe that it was a threat, and and I think that there were very um, very much darker forces than most people can imagine. Who who are behind the reasons for that? Threat. And and it's I I I don't you know I don't there there are many um dark events associated with that nation in Palestine. And, and
3: I've
1: heard a uh, I, I I could get into the religious reasons for that if if you would like to discuss it, but I I don't want to um you, you know rock your boat so to speak because you're here as our guest. Um our uh, our general opinions concerning Palestine are quite different from those of what you might consider to be mainstream Christians. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh, I can pretty pretty much establish that the people who rejected Christ in, in the first century are, are the Edomites of the Old Testament. This is very establishable in the New Testament and in history.
3: Uh-huh.
1: Uh-huh. They'll always reject Christ. There, there's no. They will never accept Jesus Christ. And, and they'll always be anti Christian. And they are now. And and I I believe that our mainstream churches have done a great disservice in in trying to teach us that these people will will ever be converted. They 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 never will be.
2: I I believe that uh, I, I have no problem with that whatsoever. Uh, none at all. Um I guess we could go pretty deep into that. I um uh, what I have my, the main main problem I think I've ever had is the very fact that even in this country, and uh, my first uh, uh, ties with the church, and uh, where I really started to, to want to learn, was with the uh, with the First Baptist Church, and I was I immediately uh, was felt pretty alienated when they gave me the impression that that uh, these people in Israel can just do no wrong. And no matter what they do, we have to back them. And, of course, they go all the way back into the Old Testament to do uh, just as John Hagee does, to say, oh, we have to back them no matter what we do, what they do. And uh, I, I thought to myself, uh, and that means that's okay, that they just kill people uh, without reservation? Uh, that's what got me to look into all of this, you know? So I'm open to a lot of what
1: you can tell me. Well, well, you know, the people of God do the works of God, and the children of Abraham would do the do the works of Abraham. And and I can I, you know, I consider myself um pretty well read on the Bible. I read Greek, I I have my own New Testament translation. I've read every word of um Flavius Josephus and a and hundred other Greek historians of the period. Basically the um in Ezekiel chapter thirty five the children of Esau say that these two these two countries and these two nations will be ours. And and that is um a prophecy that the, the Edomites of the Old Testament would move into the the Judah and Israel that were left devoid of people in the Assyrian and Babylonian deportations. And and scripture attests that the Edomites actually assisted the Babylonians in tearing down the temple. now, now after the 40,000 people of Ezra and Nehemiah returned to Jerusalem, the Edomites had already taken over much of the land of, of Judah and Israel. In, in the second century, to skip ahead in history, in the second century, B.C. the Maccabees became quite powerful. And they went out into the land of Judah and Israel, and, and they forced all of the Edomites to convert to Judaism or or the the religion of Judea which you you know by then was already straying from from the precepts of the Hebrew fathers. Now they forced all these Edomites to convert and as Flavius Josephus the historian attests from then on the Edomites were none other than Judeans And, and Strabo the Greek geographer and and many other historians discuss the, um, the fact that the Edomites were basically folded into the nation of Judea, and, and they actually became um, the, the rulers and leaders. Herod was an Edomite, and, and many of the high priests were Edomites, and, and they had basically taken over the kingdom by the time of Christ. Now Malachi says that, Malachi chapters 1 and 2 say that, um, that they say that the sacrifices by the priests are not accepted by God because his covenant is with Levi. That fully um, in, infers that there are many priests making sacrifices who were not of Levi. Eusebius and Josephus both attest that people that were not Levites, that were unworthy of, of being priests, had been appointed priests by Herod, and, and later by the Romans. And, and the Edomites had fully taken over the kingdom by the time of Christ. Now, oh, that's, that's why in Romans chapter 9, Paul says that he cares for his brethren in Israel who are of Israel, and he goes on to compare Jacob and Esau. And, and Paul is fully telling us that this history is true, that the Edomites had become the, um, you know, for the most part, the Judeans. And Christ and the apostles, life. they were all true Judeans. Well, Eli points out Ezekiel 36.5, Therefore, thus saith
0: Yahweh God, surely in the fire of my jealousy have I spoken against the residue of the heathen and against all idumea, which have appointed my land into their possession with the joy of all their heart, with the spiteful mind to cast it out for a prey.
1: Well, right, Ezekiel chapters 35 and 36 show that the Edomites had taken over the land of Judah and Israel, and and the histories of Josephus and and New Testament passages such as Romans chapter nine, Revelations two nine and three nine, fully show that the, those Edomites were the people that rejected Christ. And, and, and that's and John, that, that's why Christ told him told the the leaders, you are not my sheep, and therefore you don't hear my voice.
0: In in John chapter eight thirty three. They answered him, We be Abraham's seed, and we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? The only descendants of Abraham that were never in bondage would be the Edomites.
1: Well, right, and, and there's a lot of evidence that those people are really, that the people who rejected Christ are not the Israelites of the Old Testament.
3: Mm.
1: Oh, and, right. and if you ever want to discuss that at greater length, I'd be more than happy to spend even my own private time.
2: Well, and then, would you guys just—who do you think attacked the
1: USS Liberty? Well, these people are basically—they've been—they're antithetical to Christ. They have been since the very beginning, and and we're fooled into believing that they're the children of God, and they're not. The the Christian people of the world are the represent the children of God. I I can get into the our. you know the origins of the people of Europe. Many of the people of Europe actually descended from the Hebrews of the Old Testament. Talking about the Ashkenazi Jews. Well, well, they are Ashkenazi in part, yes. Yeah.
2: Okay. Well, I think we're pretty much on the same page. Yes,
1: um, they are. You know, they're the Sephardic Edomites and and the vaim of the Old Testament, and and they were Canaanites and and the Ashkenazis and. Uh, yeah, well, they have a very long history, and, and they've sojourned in many places, but they're not the dispersion of the children of Israel by any means. Let, let me ask
2: you one quick question, there, without getting too far away from thing. I want to tell you all that I did send you, by email, the uh, book, uh, uh, Ship Without a Country, A Way to Get It. Uh, I hope that that can be spread around uh, for, for everyone to take a, a, a chance or a shot at reading this book, and I... Really love to get some input uh, on the chapter that I got to read, I uh, got to write myself called uh, "Dead Men Walking." I'd loved input from that. I really would.
1: Yes, definitely. We'll, right. we'll definitely be in be in touch. I pray in the future about that. The um l- the link for the book one of the listeners supplied it, um, and I thank him for it. It's the Ugly Truth dot WordPress dot com. Another one. Yes, yeah. um, I put, put that up there about
0: ten minutes ago. Okay, the newest
2: one. Is uh, is uh, ship without a country? Um, I think there's about six of us that uh, actually put down what we saw as eyewitnesses. Um, most of it can be backed by uh, by facts, as far as I'm concerned. I could go so deeply into the fact part of it. Um, there's actually a, a website out there that uh, is called the USS Liberty Inquiry. Uh, dot USA, I believe it is run by a man by the name of Ken Halliwell, he actually deals with facts. Nothing more than that. Some of the stuff that this man has, has, has uncovered, such as uh, just a quick uh, note, I don't want to eat up too much time with it. There was an oil slick around the ship after the torpedo hit, especially on the starboard side. Um, the oil slick uh, went, you know, just above the water line. You could see it. It was black uh, all the way around the ship. Um, they had said they stopped firing at us after the the, uh, torpedo hit. Yet, if you look at the oil slick, you'll see marks and scratches and scars where evidently they've been hitting that time and time again. So uh, there is facts and stuff there that he has unearthed, such as wind direction, the speed that the ship was going, uh, shadows on the deck. He has went into this so deep that I can't explain it all here. I don't know it all. Also, well, it's
1: absolutely amazing, you know, and, and Romeo Stana pretty much weighs out pretty well in these Bonjour Yule articles. It's absolutely amazing that the ship even survived to float, and, and especially to make it all the way back to Malta. It's incredible. It's, did the captain
0: order an abandoned ship?
1: Did he?
2: Um, life rafts were put in the water, weren't they? They shot up the life rafts. up the life rafts, yes. Uh, I don't ever remember of hearing the order to abandon ship. I don't. I think he thought about it. Uh the only thing that he finally did uh is uh, after when we got underway and headed towards Malta is that he wouldn't let any of us anybody sleep down below. Uh he said we just we have to um uh, sleep topside so you know if we went down I didn't. I was under so much medication, I went down to my bunk and I said, I really don't care if it goes down or not. But when you're under that kind of medication, you don't. Hmm. I went things about the body recovery. Um, I probably was able to do something that a lot of human beings don't get to do and, and would never want to do, but, um, the boys that I had working for me went down below. They picked the bodies out of the steam pipes. They were jammed in the steam pipes, twisted around them, brought those parts back up above for me to put together and make a, a body out of them and try to identify them. And I did have one way of doing it, and that's that everybody had their names stenciled on their shirts, a name tag or something stenciled on their trousers um, so we could identify them. Um, God kept me, propped me up, you call it, whatever you want to, to be able to do this. I take no credit myself. Um, I will tell you this, that uh, there was some sick bay alcohol brought down to us guys in little small bottles. It was powerful stuff. They said, you need this to get through it. I drank about three of them and never even phased me. I didn't even know I drank any alcohol. Mm. Oh, <laughs> uh, I just want to throw that in there that uh, uh, I take no credit whatsoever for even being here. It's God and God alone that saved the USS Liberty. And I've, I've gotten myself in more trouble. Uh, my ex-wife, uh, as I said, that I was actually absolutely a fanatic about it. I still am a fanatic about it, and I wish the people in this country would take a look and see how much stuff was thrown at us. How many, how much uh, armament these people had, and still we survived. I don't think we'd have went down if they'd have dropped a bomb on us, because it's God, truly David versus Goliath.
3: <laughs>
1: God wouldn't let it happen. It just wasn't going to happen. No, so, it, it, you're absolutely right. It's an amazing story, and there it, it, it was, it, it's incredible that somebody would not be able to see that there was a divine hand involved. Incredible is. Uh, is uh,
2: I've even lost words for that one. I guess incredible is about as close as you can get. And uh, I, over the years, actually, I have been uh, with when I've talked about this in church, I've made testimony in church, and I will tell you right here now that I did, uh, I've been in church um, every ever since I've been saved, and and uh, most of the churches
1: uh, didn't like what I had to say. Well, well I'd like to believe that you were say when you were born. Uh, um the um Romeo Stana indicates that the Israelis had pulled off attacking the ship because they believed that the Sixth Fleet was actually on the way.
2: Right. Well,
1: I think they're afraid of that
2: because they uh they they had to pull away sooner or later because they were running out of time. And they you know, after you'd fired five torpedoes, after you'd strafed it constantly, put over 800 and 800, uh, close to 900 holes in this ship. Well, they counted them. Uh, Used napalm on it. Uh, Put it at a 10-degree list, and still it would not go down. And on top of that, sail 1,000 miles to Malta. If I were the pilots, the Israeli pilots, and they have contacted us, by the way, but if I were them, I would look back and say, oh, my God, these people are right. God did save that ship and I can't say any more than that I just uh, it defies words
0: and they had to have known it was an American ship since I, I saw uh, them dead in the water that they immediately began jamming the fleet frequencies, so they knew what frequencies your ship was operating
2: on that's what I've been told I didn't personally observe that but that's what I've been told by some of my shipmates that's true
1: well, Johnson so, Johnson, is expressed to have the, to have, Johnson is said to have expressed the sentiment, thank God it wasn't the Russians after learning that Israel attacked the liberty. And, and to me, that just exposes him as a traitor or a coward. I've, to,
2: uh, is, uh, what I have been told, uh, I have not, not seen it in black and white, but I have been told that Lyndon Johnson said he didn't care what happened to us. He wasn't going to embarrass the nation of Israel. Yes, one, he
1: had that also.
2: If you guys want to go to the bottom? If you go to the bottom, uh, and I really, my personal feelings is it took them uh, two days to get help to us. And my personal feeling is that I think there might have been some that hoped that we'd go down before they before the help got there. And now I say this right here. Now, God bless the men of USS America, USS Davis, USS Massey. For keeping, for being there for us when we when we needed them the most. Um, I know the USS America, I believe, has been uh, sunk off the coast of Norfolk, Virginia, or somewhere in that area. Um, They didn't tear it apart. They didn't salvage it. They just put it to the bottom. And if any of those guys are listening, um, thank you. Because when they pulled up, when the America pulled up, they didn't come too close to us because they figured they'd put us to the bottom. Just just the wake from the America would have put us to the bottom. And uh, they were the cheer. I've never heard uh, three or 4,000 men cheering out in the middle of the Mediterranean like I did that day. So if there are any of them listening, thank you. God bless you.
0: Sir, do you have any um, doubt? that the attack was intended to sink the ship with all hands. No doubt in my mind. So had that happened, the Israelis could have made up any story they wanted. Johnson would have rubber stamped it and they could have they could have intervened against Egypt on behalf of Israel.
1: Wasn't well, I think that was the idea in the first place. Yes, that's been speculated by Stan by Stano also. And it did, and it didn't
2: happen And I'm sure that it upset a lot of people in high places, uh, including Robert McNamara. Now, Robert McNamara took this to the grave with him. He knows exactly what happened. And uh, I'll just say this. I'm very happy I'm not Robert McNamara. I would Hmm. never want to take this to the grave with me. Uh, Captain Ward Boston, who conducted the Naval Board of Inquiry, said this before he died. He said, the Board of Inquiry was a whitewash. It was pushed through. It was all a lie, and he says, I'm not going to take this to the grave with me, and neither
1: would I want to. Well, right, and there are some that their sins ahead to the judgment, and obviously some that don't. That's the way it is. <laughs> well, I've always said it this way.
2: I don't want to take that kind of stuff to the grave with me because I don't want to take it to that higher court.
1: Absolutely, and that's what what I was trying to infer. Uh, that Robert McNamara will meet his maker, and and
2: yeah, you, you and... broke
1: <laughs> you broke up just a little bit there, so I didn't catch that. But uh, yeah, that's exactly right.
2: Uh, who would want to take? And I hope the right people hear this. Who would want to take the truth about this to a higher court? I know I wouldn't. Well, I think it's written that every idle word that men speak, they will have to give account thereof in the Judgment Day. Well, I certainly appreciate you telling me some of the things you've told me this morning. I keep in contact with you, and just what you just told me, uh, I believe very, very thoroughly that uh, there will be an account made. And I don't want to be part of it. Um, I don't want to be uh, – I'm actually uh, – I lost my family. I had four children – that were turned against me because my ex-wife was absolutely beside herself because I felt it so strong that the what God had did that day, and uh, my I got three of my children that won't speak to me this day because she they think I'm kind of a fake I guess and I've been lied about a lot. Uh, I'm working my hardest. I'm 70 years old. I'm working hardest.
3: Uh.
1: I'm so. sorry, you're cutting out. I think your cell phone, maybe. Oh, or...
2: uh, I suppose my battery's running low here. It shouldn't be. How about now? That's much better, sir. Okay, I was—I dropped my phone down just a little bit. I don't—I can't do that. I'm just saying that I wanted to try to be at peace with uh, every um, human being that I know, especially my children, uh, before my time's up. I think God's going to allow that in His timing.
1: Well, you know, we're told that the truth is, and- the truth is supposed to divide households, and, and that's just the way it is. And, and my own household is divided for, for what I believe between me and some of my children, and, and I accept that as, as the gospel word that Joshua Christ, that Jesus Christ said that the father would be divided against son and, and mother against daughter. And, and that's, um, that, you know, you have to stand by what you believe is true, and, and that's mm-hmm. the most important thing is to be honest before God.
0: A man's foes shall be they of his own
1: household, uh, and that's um, you, you know that's a, and it's unfortunate and and it kills me that I I have children at once because of what I believe, but I I can't um I have to throw off the the standard Judeo Christian brainwashing. I'm sorry.
2: Well, the last uh, last verse in uh, Malachi that you spoke of a while ago speaks about Elijah returning and turning the hearts of the children to the Father. Yes, <laughs> and
1: I believe the truth shall prevail again.
2: I've hung on that scripture for a lot of years. Um,
1: it means a lot to me, I'll put it that way. I'm looking forward to that day. I I have a brother that's Command Master Chief. That um I'm, I'm hoping will will listen to this program when, when um you know, when I get the radio off after recording. Hey, you know,
2: that's a wonderful thing. Let me mention something really
1: quickly here.
2: I don't know how much time we have. I'm sure we're running out. But um, uh, I was allowed to speak at the Navy Ball at at Goodfellow Air Force Base in San Angelo, Texas, uh, in the year of 2003. I was able to speak to a little over, I believe, about 400 uh, Navy, Marine Corps, Army, uh, Air Force, and Coast Guard uh, officers and men plus the school command that's down there at Goodfellow Air Force Base, and I got to tell them this story. And uh, so I love being able to tell active military what happened to us. And you know what? The reaction of those people that night at the Navy Ball, uh, I can't even describe it. Uh, There was no negative remarks whatsoever. Um, Most of the people told me, said, you know, your training was – took effect uh you followed um, the, what you were supposed to do right to right to the
1: uh, right to the core and i said So well, thank you for that i'm amazed uh, that they had you pardon me i'm simply amazed that they had you i don't know how
2: i don't know how that happened
1: i i really don't uh they just
2: called one day and they say it was about it's about an 800 mile drive down there
1: um and well, some uh, officer had to stick his neck out to invite you It was an Air Force
2: uh, colonel who who okayed the thing. As far far as I know, uh, nothing ever happened because of that. Um, uh, They allowed me to tell a story. And uh, to make another uh, instance uh, known to people, uh, uh, my uh, my own uniform as a first-class petty officer uh, hangs in the Hampton Roads Naval Museum down in Norfolk, Virginia, and I've got to tell you, that's an official naval museum, and it does hang in there, and it's never been taken down. It's there permanently. But the inscription, it just
0: mentions the attack on the Liberty. It doesn't say who fired the torpedo, does it? Uh,
2: at, uh, you mean at the museum?
0: Yeah, the, the picture you sent me. It says, Petty Officer Ronald G. Kakal wore this uniform aboard USS Liberty in 1967, he stood about thirty feet from the spot where a torpedo struck the ship. Kukul survived.
1: Well, I think they basically play it off. You know, the official um, the official version of the attack was an accident, don't they? Mm-hmm. Pretty, pretty close. Uh,
2: um, not quite as close as one might think. I wished I had it in front of me because of the newspaper article that went along with that. Uh, if you read that closely, you'll find out that. Uh, uh, I like I said, I don't know how much time we have. I can pull that up if. Well, we have as much time as you need, sir. Oh, okay. Um, I'll pull that up and I'll give you the official version of what's of what they what they have down there. And I have. Okay, it's almost here. Um, okay, it'll, it'll come up here in just a minute.
1: Yeah, take your time. We have as much time as you need. This is a pretty flexible program. Okay.
2: I I can't. I'm not going to try to uh, do this from memory because uh, wouldn't work very well.
3: This takes a short time to pull
2: up. No, actually, yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, just amazing to me. Of course, now this is the Cold War part of the museum. It's not specifically about the USS Liberty, but they have really, uh, they have really uh, gave us a, a really a, a good spot there for the exhibit.
3: And, uh,
2: okay, I've got the article in front of me. If I can find the right spot, according to the Department of the Navy, Navy Historical Center in Washington, D.C., on its official website. During the Six-Day War between Israel and several Arab nations, she, USS Liberty, was sent to collect electronic intelligence in the eastern Mediterranean. On the afternoon of 8 June 1967, while in... Okay, I've got to move it over here just a little bit. Almost there. While in international waters off the peninsula, Liberty, though clearly... This is the point I wanted to make here. Liberty, though clearly marked as a U.S. Navy ship, was struck by Israeli aircraft. That is official. At least that's what's in the paper. What was in
1: the paper. Right, uh, and that doesn't leave any room for... um for forever, uh, so that sounds that's better than a lot of the accounts I've read.
2: Absolutely. Uh, after suffering damage and many personal casualties from gunfire, rockets, and bombs, she was further attacked by three Israeli Navy motor, motor torpedo boats. The word "further attacked," uh, uh, I think, is quite uh, self-explanatory. It was definitely they never they didn't quit. Uh, one torpedo hit her on the starboard side, forward of the superstructure. Uh, leaving an opening large hole in her hull. and all, 34 men were killed in the attacks and nearly 170 wounded. That's a 70% um, factor in the wounded. Uh, That's 70% of the crew. Uh, 170 out of 294.
1: Oh, I was going to ask you that next. How many men were on the the ship? 294. Yeah. As
2: Israel subsequently apologized for the incident, explaining that its air and naval forces had mistaken their liberty for a much smaller Egyptian Navy ship. Kukal said some Liberty survivors believe the attack was deliberate. Well, that's that's it. That's all they've got on the official part of that. But as far as I'm concerned, uh, that's pretty gutsy of the United States Navy.
1: Yes, it is. I'm surprised it's there like that.
2: Yeah. Well, that's the uh, according to uh, the, the Sheridan Press, where the, where I'm where I'm from here. Um, uh, that's that's the official Navy version. Now of course I'm reading that out of a newspaper, but I, I have no reason to believe that, that that isn't what they have as the official version. I, I have no reason to
1: believe that that it would be anything other than. That. Right. I, a have a, I have a son in that <laughs> area. I have a son that's an active duty Marine who's been to Iraq twice, and he's in um he's in that area. I'm going to ask him to, to um about this. Yeah, you know about oh. it. Uh, he visits all of the um the museums around there, the Smithsonian and all of, all of the other you know military museums.
2: Oh, I'll have sure. a, a, a picture of, uh, of one of our own crewmen, Rocky Sturman, who went down in, uh, to, to look to see if it was actually there, and he sent me the picture, and
1: he said, Well, Ron, yes, it is actually there. It's um, uh, there's uh, Well, right. No, I take your word for it, but I'm, I'm going to have him get me more information on it, is my point.
2: And let me tell you there's some
1: odd things that have happened along
2: with this. Uh, my good friend, uh, Phil Turney, uh, who's a ship fitter, who did more to uh, save that ship than uh, than most that I know of. And as I said, he was a Bronze Star recipient. Uh, for years and years and years, Phil, uh, he had a terrible lot amount of fam- family problems. And, of course, we all know why. And uh, so I had worked for the, for the Veterans Administration, and I knew a lot about post-traumatic stress disorder. And I told Phil, I says, you know, do you know about this, and do you, do you know what you can do about it? He didn't know anything about it. He didn't know why he was having the problems with his family he having. So I contacted uh, Senator Tim Worth at the time of Colorado, and uh, the good senator uh, looked into this, and, uh, and and Phil Turney ended up uh, with a 100 percent. Uh, disability within about a week to 10 days from the time that the good senator looked into this. Uh, he told me he couldn't interfere uh, in these kind of things, but he did look into it, and evidently that was enough. Um, I would venture to say that most of the men that stayed aboard the ship to do the cleanup suffer from some form of post traumatic disorder. And I'm sure the ones that were on the there during the attack do also. Except uh, they were taken off uh, immediately; didn't have to do the cleanup. That's nothing against them. I'm just saying I think that the uh, PTSD was a little bit more severe for those of us that had to stay and do the recovery and the cleanup. So that about wraps it up for for me. I, I think I've uh, I've done what what god has always wanted me to do and that's to lift his name up uh above all of this and uh I've done it and done it and done it and done
1: it for over 40 years now. And, well, that's definitely an admirable task. Mm-hmm. It's um you know most people don't realize the um the, the credit that god should get for, for their very existence.
2: Yeah,
1: I think I think I even uh uh, because I, I really
2: it's a kind of a tough thing to do in on a, in a sec, with a secular audience like well, the Navy Ball, for example. But still it was done anyway because people need to know
1: why. Well, it's a shame in, in, in our, that our nation has des- descended into secularism. Uh, I mean, the, the Navy Ball would not have been a secular audience 180 years ago.
0: And it seems today there's really no reward, at least in this life, for standing up for the truth.
1: That's true.
2: Well, I, I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, i think I've just about said all that I can say. Unless you guys have more questions, why? Well, I... well, I actually have a few more. At the
0: time, right after the attack, did you? What, what sort of media coverage was there immediately following the incident, the attack? Did any reporters interview any of the crewmen? Did
2: any um, journalists come by and want statements? Well, in my particular case, what well, they flew us back. Uh, we were brought in in the middle of the night. There was no reporters anywhere. Uh, we flew into New York to what I think was called, I think was called Idlewild Airport,
3: mm-hmm.
2: and uh, we we think that we were purposely brought in, you know, uh, during the middle of the night so that nobody, we couldn't talk to anybody. Uh, I would think so. Reporters uh, wanted to talk to me uh, and. I don't think they talked much
1: to anybody else. Anyway, so that's about all I know about that. Well, well a- Johnson had, um, uh, according to Stainer, Johnson, the Sixth Fleet was was had dispatched planes to to assist, and Johnson purposely called them off. He correct. he um, that Admiral Geis questioned McNamara's orders to to desist and, and withhold assistance. And, and Admiral Geis appealed to President Johnson, and Johnson purposely told him not to help the liberty they 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 would rather have even the President of the United States would rather see all of you men destroyed that, than to um t- to have this wash out in the press. That's the word that I got. they did everything they could to silence this and and it's incredible it's it's an act it's a treasonous act it's an act of war that israel. As far as I'm concerned, the assault on the liberty is an act of war, and Johnson's capitulation is an act of surrender. That's the way I look at the big picture. That's the
2: big picture, and that's the way I have heard a lot of people say it. Uh, you you aren't with just a couple of words off. I also... I read
0: that they understated the casualty report saying that approximately 10 soldiers had been killed and upwards of 80 to 100 wounded in the initial reports which incidentally I read in one instance the USS Liberty was on page 29 of a
2: Washington DC or New York newspaper. The first reports uh I think well, I have a clipping if I could find it out of the Omaha World Herald were exactly that uh, about 10 10- Ten men were hurt and uh, were, were uh, killed or injured. I can't remember how they put it. Yes, that's that's how it first came out. Uh, and until we, until uh, days later, I have no idea why it came out. That it was a plurim, uh, maybe a preliminary uh, report. I don't know. My um, <laughs> Kind of a sidebar to this thing. My mother was, uh, uh, when she was alive, she... Uh, was fixing lunch, uh, and she had a hot pan of something or other in her hands, and the TV was on, and she caught the words "U.S.S. Liberty attacked in the Mediterranean," and she dropped the whole thing on the kitchen floor, and because uh, she knew that I was aboard. Actually, I don't think they knew for about close to ten days whether any of us were who was alive and who was dead. So, the first preliminary report at ten uh, was probably just that preliminary that's all i can tell you i think a lot of it though is they like to get out
0: misinformation right away (laughs) that's what sticks in people's minds the most what they hear first
1: yeah Yeah. so you must have been a 10-year man at the time of this
2: uh i was i had been in for eight years i was going to make a uh a career out of it and uh due to the i had a back injury and some problems with my neck, and then uh, the post-traumatic stress disorder. By the way, uh, was actually not even a diagnosis. It was not even uh, in the uh, manual that the, like the, for example, the VA uses. Nobody really knew what it was. Nobody. I, uh, put right. I never heard of it until well after the first Gulf War. Okay. Well, uh, they had another name for it then. I forgot. Combat fatigue, what have Whatever. My doctor here at the the VA that I went to for years and years and years, he he said, you know, I find it just absolutely impossible to believe that you fellows with no treatment whatsoever uh, went through this uh, and still have been able to survive because now they have what they call – uh, people that are in there immediately when some tragedy like this happens to start whatever treatment they they deem uh uh that they that they should use uh to keep these kind of symptoms from happening however i don't I don't know what they use, but they just the very fact that he said that we didn't even know what it was, and you guys were suffering with this, and uh well he said you just didn't get the treatment you needed. I don't. I'm no doctor in that area, so I'm not going to say any more. Along similar lines, the story hasn't gotten the
0: treatment that it needs and that it deserves.
2: And I, I often wonder. This is only my personal thoughts. That this country is suffering for those, for crossing that invisible line that I call it the, more, the line of morals. They would cross that line a long time ago, and I, I thoroughly believe. That this country is suffering for crossing those lines.
1: I well, read. I believe that we're in the Revelation seventeen seventeen period that the king, our kingdom has been handed over to the beast, and and you know to the the antichrists are are actually um yeah, you know as long as our people heed the antichrist, we're going to be punished for it. And there's and no the love of the immorality is definitely a key factor in it.
2: Absolutely, um, and I see people. Um, like uh, if when I see them on TV, for example, uh, standing in a, in a church, I guess it's a church that maybe uh, someone like John Hagee is leading, and they stand there and and let this kind of stuff be uh, this fall all over them, and they feel like they're doing the right thing.
1: I'm appalled. Uh, well, it is appalling. you oh. like to be appalled. There's no, um, you won't find any John Hagee fans here, I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> well, John Hagee will stand up in front of his whole congregation and say that neither by deed nor word did Jesus ever claim to be the Messiah, and yet the next week he'll still have 20,000 followers.
2: I have no idea why that's happening, other than what you just got through saying, that we're in that period, uh, Revelations, did you say 1717?
1: Yes, sir, and and Yahweh God would put in into um, into the, his people one heart and heart and and one mind to hand their kingdom over to the beast, and, well, and that's where we are.
2: That's that's what I'll be reading tonight. Um, of course, I'm going to keep in contact you. And you did, by the way, you did get the uh, you said you did get the address for for ordering the book Ship without a country.
0: Yes, yes, sir. I, I've already communicated that. I've communicated that to the listeners already. I've put it up in a message.
2: Okay.
1: Well, keep shooting if you got all you got more questions. I I don't know how how much I more I could ask. I think I basically covered everything that that I know to ask. I'm sorry.
2: Yeah, that's okay. And and I've actually run the gambit here as far as uh you know what I've uh, what I've seen what I've looked back on and seen and uh, uh I, I will say this. That when i when i began to, when i realized and it was in an instant and looking back uh, what had happened the uh the, the size of the attack the uh, the uh how much how hard they were trying to put us to the bottom how uh much they were uh making every effort
1: right and they were going out of their way with a war going on on front. Uh, they were fighting a, the, this six-day war on two fronts, were they not, well, when well, this was happening?
2: I think it was pretty much uh, a done deal when we uh, – well, no, it wasn't. I suppose it was, uh, it was the third day of the six-day war. So, But uh, they had already been told that they were winning. and. Uh, um, but uh, I really believe that uh, they didn't want us around uh, to uh, – to to tell our own government that uh, even though Johnson had told them that uh, they needed to stop, or they were winning the war, needed to slow down, that they already had plans to take the Gaza Strip and the Golan Heights, and they were going to do that anyway, no matter what. And also, I think they must have thought that we we, we probably knew it uh, because we were a surveillance ship.
0: Sir, I also heard that your ship, Chapter Liberty, was intercepting communications that the Israelis were massacring prisoners of war in the Sinai Peninsula, that they basically didn't want to take any Egyptian prisoner, so they were killing them all.
2: I can't... uh, I just don't know. I I can't uh, say one way or or another on that. Uh, I do know that uh, I read an article from Reuters about a year ago in which uh, Egypt had uncovered these people that you're talking about, Egyptian Mm -hmm. prisoners, and that there was a big... uh, that they actually pulled the Israeli ambassador out of Egypt. It was that bad, but you know what? That kind of stuff will never reach the mainstream media over here. It's not
1: going to happen. Well, even if it falls on the on ears the of the populace, I mean most of them just believe that it, through their churches that, that these people in Israel can do no wrong.
2: You're still that way, as far as I know.
1: Yeah, oh yeah, it's, it's, um, it's a total brainwashing, I think.
2: I got to tell you that uh, I'm, I'm very careful about which church I step my foot in anymore. I'm very, very careful, and I'm very, very careful as to uh, when I tell people who I am. Uh, I'm not quite as—I'm uh, not saying I'm not blatant about it. I'm just saying I, if I want to stay in the church, uh, I, I kind of hold my tongue a little bit. Uh, I think that's got something to do with age. I'm kind of—I guess I'm kind of wearing out. Kind of getting a little bit tired. Um, well well in, in, in reality, you are the church that 's right, and that 's how what I f- so strongly believe that we are most definitely that you and I and others that uh, we are the church we are, we are the uh, uh, there's uh, to me there 's a
1: physical Israel, we can see that physical israel well well, I believe that we are the physical Israel, but that 's okay. I, I could talk about ancient history at great length. And, and the settlement of Europe and, and where we actually came from at, at very great length. Yeah, you know when 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 um yeah you know in 700 BC when when the children of Israel were deported by the Assyrians, there was no Germany. That there was no England. There was no Poland. There was no Lithuania. There was no Denmark and Sweden. I, I can talk about the early history of Europe at, at great length and show that we are actually the physical Israel. And, and that's why we received the gospel. And, and that's why we have been the, um, the, the main purveyors of the gospel for, for the last 2,000 years. And that's, that's a whole separate story. Sure. Uh, however, the children of God in the world who, who believe his word, they are the ecclesia or, or the assembly. They are the church. We are, are the church. The church is not an, an organization made by men. Uh, I don't see any um, any Catholic priesthood in the scriptures. We are the church and the priesthood. You uh, familiar with uh, with Pastor Chuck Carlson? Um, no, I'm not. I'm I'm actually pretty much in. Uh, I mean, there are other uh, pastors. Across the nation that I that I am loosely associated with, but we don't have an organization, and I don't really know Chuck Carlson. Or
2: fine, well, he. I just wanted to let you know he's been on our radio show. We used to have a radio show called The Liberty Hour. Actually, we still have it. It is a podcast right now. Uh, I'll send you some information on that if you care to listen to some of the former shows that we had. But Chuck Carlson uh, is, a, is a is a pastor who says there actually is. A movement within the church in this country to change these ways of thinking that are so uh,
1: uh Hage inspired i think is the way he put it well, uh, that would be great but, you know i there's a lot of people that operate outside of um outside of mainstream religion and, and we have um i don't want to bright we have several hundred listeners and and most of those people download the programs as podcasts. And we know how many people download our programs and visit our websites. And there's a lot of people in this country that are operating outside of mainstream Christianity that are good Christian people. And I believe that they're the people that have um, have gotten out of Babylon.
2: Well, I, I hope you're talking one here because I uh, I'm pretty much out of the mainstream church. Uh, pretty much, uh, I've just seen too much. Um, any more questions that you can think of?
1: No, I I really appreciate your spending this time with us, and and maybe we could we could have you back someday.
0: Well, just one more, sir. You said there's a survivors association website. Would you like to give that
2: address out? I uh, I would be more than glad to do that. Let me get the proper one. Um, there are two. Uh, I'd like to give you ours, which is more Christian oriented, um, and uh, I I can just do that
1: by email. Um, well anything that you supply Brian with by email you, you know I plan on on taking this podcast and putting it on a page on my website and and I'll put a little um you know list of resources together.
2: You know uh, what what would be really, really
1: great if if he still wants to cuz
2: I think this may be one of my um very close to the last uh interview I'm going to do for a while but Phil Turney uh who uh was one of the um uh, moderators of the liberty hour uh has a lot of information that is uh, very very uh important and uh if you could if you if you want to have him on he'd be a wonderful person to have on and i think he would come on excellent yes
1: let's go sure brian i'll make a note of that
2: he's the so. ron star winner uh purple heart uh, he's the man who who came in and uh, and released us guys uh out of that uh, water-filled compartment down below, and he's a wonderful God to listen to. Um, I, I, uh, uh, I think it's been about 15 years ago, uh, Phil was a very, very angry person. I uh, took the time to uh, talk to him about the sinner's prayer, uh, led him to the Lord, and he has changed considerably. Uh, he now uh, talks like a
1: brand-new person. Well right, there's no reason to um, to to really it, it's knowledge is better than anger anytime. And and there's no reason to be angry at 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 being, you know, by the grace of God surviving such a tragic event. And you now, you should be thankful. I mean, I would want to be thankful and not angry.
2: But it took us a long time to get to that point. Uh I mean, in the beginning all we ever knew was who attacked us. Uh, they tried to kill us all. Uh, there's going to be a lot of anger there, and a lot of anger comes from um, body uh, having to recover their own shipmates' bodies. It took us a long time to get to this point,
1: just a long time. Well, I understand that, but but Christians should um, should despise the enemies of of Christ. I, I believe, and and I believe that's the gospel message.
2: And, uh, and yeah. love,
1: and love those who, uh, love, those who love God.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's taken me 40 years to get to this point that you're talking about right now, where I really needed to get to, uh, and so I'm there. And that's why when I started the show, I said, you know, I'm not going to, there will be no politics, no racial slurs, nothing, because I can't do that anymore.
1: And no, it, I understand. It's, it's taken so long to get in there, get that point, you know. Well, well we're a lot more about just plain history and, and scripture than... than um politics and and racial slurs. Absolutely. And, for, Absolutely. and I think
0: for, forgiveness is great, but we're told to take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repents, forgive him. And the people that carried out the attack, they're not brothers in faith, and they've certainly never repented. In fact, they've turned it around and made they plans the They've
1: they never that. owned up to what they've done, have they? Well, right. Forgiveness is for the repent. those who repent.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That's a tough one for me, because... Um, I don't think they've ever owned up to it. Uh, um, well, that's our point. Forgiveness is for the repentant, and, and they can't possibly be repentant. Uh, it's um, they have never owned up to it. They, they're probably, in some ways, proud of it. And, and that sounds sick, but it's true.
2: Oh, it's very true. Um, I, I can't. Uh, there was a time that I think that they even had the uh, steering, uh, the steering wheel of one of the uh, torpedo boats uh, in one of their museums. I believe it was in, uh, um, I can't think of the name of the city right now. And we got wind of it, and it got taken down. So, yeah, they were pretty proud of it. Uh, uh, and I don't,
1: well, well, having read enough of the Talmud, I I, I would expect that.
2: Yeah. So, yeah.
1: Well, how about I'm a, just how about Praise God that some of you are here to um to tell us the story, and and I we've really been, appreciate your your time.
0: We've hey. been very fortunate to have you with us today, sir. Thank you. And thank you. Thank
3: you
1: thank for you. your
0: thank you for your service and um thank your shipmates on our behalf as well too, because were not for your heroic efforts, the truth would not have gotten out.
1: Amen to that. And it will persist. Sooner or later, people will listen. It might take a few years yet, but it will happen. Yes. I hope when it does. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Take care. God bless. God bless. God bless everybody.